Hey, good morning, everyone, and hello to everyone online. It's great to uh, see you all. Hey, it's been a super interesting week. Um, who's been in touch with what's been happening with ChatGBT? Anyone up, up on the play with that? Yeah, it's been a really interesting week in terms of um, AI and what's been happening. Um, so ChatGBT is this um, artificial intelligence bot which you can basically get to do your university essays for you. Uh, you can get them to write your um, you know, college science fair project. You could even uh, ask ChatGBT to write you a, a, a low-calorie diet with three different options for you know, breakfast, lunch, uh, and dinner. It's actually a, an amazing piece of technology. And uh, this week as well, um, people asked ChatGBT if they could actually um, kind of uh, produce some images for us. And these images, uh, it's, pretty, it's just a bit of fun, right? But the images are around, um, say that the Exodus, the characters in the Exodus story, they had an iPhone phone and they took selfies as the story unfolded. So here we go, here's the first one. Um, here we go, this is uh, Moses just as he's going to the river and then he's picked up by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. A quick snap there. Moses at the burning bush, it's quite good. You'd never get this on a Samsung by the way. Only the iPhone 14 would give you such clarity. Uh, and here we are, the river turning to blood, photographic evidence of that. Uh, this is like, this is when frogs take selfies. This is what happens. And here we are at the Reds, uh, the Sea of Reds or the Red Sea. So if you ever wondered if it was true or not, surely the selfies have cleared it up for you. Um, so uh, also this week, um, we, um, of course, this is a bit of harmless fun, right? This is just harmless fun on the one hand. But on the other hand, when you think about this, we live in a culture whereby seeing is believing, right? If seeing is believing and you know, what is authoritative is what we can see on CCTV footage or by photographic evidence, this actually represents a bit of a, like a bit of a disturbance in the force, really, because if seeing is believing and you can generate images like this, what does truth really mean? Right, it really opens us up to some, you know, it really opens people up to the idea of, you know, misinformation, mistruth, or alternative facts. Um, this week, this image caused a real stir. Um, here's the Pope, um, you know, dripped out in this uh, amazing uh, puffer jacket. Now, some people, of course, this is generated by um, a new chat, a new artificial intelligence uh, image generator called uh, Mid Journey. It's kind of a new one on the field. And people felt that apps really, was a, it divided people, right? One, some people felt that this really disrespected the Pope. Um, some felt that this really disrespected puffer jackets. Uh, I think GQ magazine got kind of the spirit of the moment right when it said this. It said, the viral image of the Pope wearing a dripped out white coat may have been AI generated, but its swag was the real deal. The Pope, the Pope Francis puffer photo was real in our hearts. So today we want to celebrate uh, the resurrection, and I want to highlight three different ways in which we generally see the resurrection. There's kind of three broad ways that we uh, do this. And um, we're going to have a look, but before I get into that, before we look at these three different ways in which we can view the resurrection, I just want to raise or get up on our radar 
the absolute importance of the resurrection, the absolute deep significance of it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says. He says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than how many? Yeah, 500. He appeared to more than 500. And the key part here, 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. You see the point that Paul's trying to make here, right? Um, You know, what he's saying is, you know, that not only is... The resurrection. You know, these, you, if you don't believe him, you can go and talk to these people. Five hundred people. That's a lot of verification. What we don't want to do, get caught doing is a slightly embarrassing, patronising thing that most of us in the West do. That says, "Oh, those silly brown people in ancient times. You know, what do they know? They've got all these crazy stories about people rising from the dead, right?" That's the often the Western approach to things, and, and that patronizing reflex is actually pretty embarrassing. But you know, you've got to remember that in the ancient world, people were dealing with death on a very regular basis. There wouldn't be a week going by where you weren't be dealing with dead bodies in some way or another. I just want to say to you today that in the ancient world, people believed in people rising from the dead probably less than we do, right? probably less than we do. They're often in contact with, the, with dead people or, or the dead. It actually just means that they were so familiar with this uh, reality. But here's the, where the significance of uh, the resurrection lies. Um, Paul is not afraid to up the stakes of the importance of the resurrection. Here's um, what Paul says in this regard. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Most preaching is useless, at least it's Mary which is always very deep and vulnerable. Uh, most of the preaching is useless, though. And so is your faith. Um, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified that God had raised Christ from the dead. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we had hoped in Christ, we of all people most, most to be uh, pitied. What Paul is saying here, trying to get really clear for us, is the resurrection is not some kind of take it or leave it option like, you know, should we have vegetarian on our pizza or not, right? It's not that. It's not something that you can just take or leave. The resurrection is the very pizza itself, right? You don't have any Christianity. You don't have anything uh, without the resurrection. The resurrection is the thing. In writing about the resurrection, C.S. Lewis um, puts it like this, and I really love what he has to say. He says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Believe it or not, we are actually going to have a reading today, and I'm going to get into the talk. This is all just kind of set up for that. But I just want to extend the game a little bit more, prime the pump ever so slightly more before Stacey comes and reads. And that's to say, we're going to have a reading, but I want for you to notice something as we begin this reading. This reading begins with a timestamp 
attached to it. And what um, John is trying to uh, get us to understand is that the resurrection takes, is, takes place on the very first day of the week. Now, the first day of the week, any Bible nerds know what happened in the dark on the first day of the week on page one of the Bible? It's the creation story, just if you didn't know. So it's the creation story that happens on the first day of the week. So John's gospel is structured like this. John's gospel is structured in seven key parts, all that lead from the first miracle right through to the crucifixion. And then the resurrection happens on the next day, the first day of the next week. What John is trying to get guide us into is saying that this is about old creation and the resurrection is about the beginning of new creation. This new creation, this is the thing that all of Israel had been longing for. This is the thing that all the human, you know, human hearts have been longing for. Really, that time, that end time when God was going to put all things right, when God was going to restore humanity, that resurrection, the, God has bent time and begun what was always intended to be here, has actually begun that in the middle of time. God has bent time around the resurrection and begun the clock of the new creation running even while the old creation is still happening. Now, there's two key proofs that this is the case. In the end of time, what was hoped for was the restoration of humanity, a human life that went beyond death, from which death had no power. So what you see in the resurrection of Jesus, in Jesus' physical body raised from the dead, in a body thoroughly formed that basically death could not touch or has no hold on, what we've seen is something that was intended from the end of time brought back into the middle of time. New creation has started. One of the key indicators of that is Jesus' physical resurrected body. Now, here's the next part. The second proof is this. And this is where it gets more dangerous or more exciting, depending on your disposition. I think more exciting, right? The second part was supposed to be an outpouring of God's Spirit that would heal all of creation. And so what we have in the resurrection of Jesus and what we have when people say yes to Jesus today is not only does the Spirit come and raise Jesus from the dead, the Spirit also animates Jesus's physical body. Now, here's, here's the take home. When you say yes to Jesus, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same spirit that animates and empowers Jesus's resurrected body, that comes into your life. It comes into your life. What does that mean? It means that the resurrection, when you say yes to Jesus, it means that the resurrection process has already started to begin in your life. God bends time when you say yes to Jesus, instead of restoring you at the end of time, begins that restoration process in the middle of time. The second thing is this, when you say yes to Jesus, that same power that animates Jesus' resurrected body actually begins to animate your life. This is what you're opening yourself up to. I feel at ministry time, we should be handing out crash helmets, right? You never know what's going to happen. You're opening yourself to the presence of uh, the resurrected God. So often we get Christianity the wrong way around. 
We feel it's about life after death. Actually, following Jesus is about resurrected life before death, right? You get this right, and this part takes care of itself. So this is why I want to dig into this morning the importance of the resurrection, how we see the resurrection. This is all set up, right? I'm getting 20 minutes to preach after this, but now we're going to have Stacey. Thank you. Let's welcome her. Oh, I need to give you a microphone. Kia ora. So this is John chapter 20, verses 1 to 10. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Whakarongo ki te kupu a te wairoa ki te hahi. Kia mau tonu tana kupu kia tātou. Thank you so much, Stacey. Amazing. Take that reading with you. Thank you, my friend. Okay, so we're looking at three different ways um, to, that people understand the resurrection of Jesus. And these three ways are actually represented by three different Greek words, which I'm going to show you in a moment um, up on uh, the screen. And Greek was the original language in which the New Testament was uh, written in. And really my hope is today that we will see Jesus' resurrection in a new way. You know, every culture has different approaches to uh, burying people, right? So, um, you know, in Egypt, of course, they're really great at embalming. The Roman culture, they uh, uh, cremated people. And, of course, in uh, ancient Palestine, what they would do is that they would, um, their burial practice was to place a body in a tomb. And that basically a tomb that had either been cut into the hillside or cut in stone, or they repurposed sometimes um, a cave that was naturally formed. And so what they would do is they would embalm the body by using spices and uh, strips of linen and place the body uh, into the tomb. The tomb then had a large stone rolled in front of it in order to protect it from um, animals coming in and um, taking the body, dingoes particularly if you're in Australia, sorry. Um, but for what's particular about Jesus' crucifixion is there was such a social controversy, there was such a thing about his... Um, his, the civil unrest surrounding his death is that when they buried Jesus and put him in the tomb and rolled the stone away, they actually had to place a Roman guard over it. So they set a Roman guard uh, to uh, make sure that nothing happened uh, to this tomb at all. And so um, 
you just got to imagine the scene. You know, Mary wakes up, you know, it's early Sunday morning. She goes to the tomb. It's in the dark, goes to the tomb to finish off uh, the burial process that with, with more linen and more spices. And she gets to the tomb, and the tomb door is open, right? It's complete. This is... This is a nightmare. This is a complete nightmare situation. What's happened here? And so she runs uh, down back to where the disciples were staying and tells uh, John and Peter. They then run back to the tomb themselves. And this is where we uh, pick up the story because John gets there first and he goes to the tomb. The tomb is open. He crouches inside and he looks and he sees the uh, linen clothing, the linen cloths uh, just in the tomb. But he doesn't go in. He just looks and sees. And that word, uh, look, have we got that up there, Mike? Yep, here we go. The other disciple, he looked. So the Greek word uh, for this word look is uh, blipo, which means just to have a quick glance. And just to kind of, like, you just see the reality of it. You don't go any deeper. You just kind of recognize that, oh, my gosh, this was not as I expected it to be. And I feel that this pretty much sums up most of Western culture today, or our culture uh, today, when it comes to uh, the resurrection. Many people are kind of happy to say, well, I know something happened back there, and we're having hot cross buns today, um, and, but, you know, you do you isn't life good, right? We don't have much more going on than just kind of recognising that, gosh, well, something must have happened um, back there. However, the problem with this, with just glancing at something, the problem with not going deeper with something is that often the reality that we're trying to look at is really just reduced down to our expectations or the experience of what's going on in our inner world, right? When we look at something super quickly, actually that reality is easily reduced down to just what we're expecting it to be or just our experiences of the internal world. And uh, this Charles Taylor, a famous uh, philosopher, talked about this being uh, the malaise of the imminent frame. There's this really good Catholic theologian called Ronald Rollheiser, and he kind of explains this phenomenon uh, like this. Just imagine this situation. Imagine you're going for a walk in a forest and it's like a beautiful summer's day. You know, the trees are amazing, the light is wonderful, the sound, the smell, everything is absolutely just alive with the presence of God. And it feels like this amazing magical moment of holiness and you just want to take your shoes off at this kind of blazing situation that you're in. It's just amazing. It's awfuling, right? But just say you're in that moment, you're in that situation, and in fact, what's, what's happened is that you've got a broken heart. You're heartbroken. You've perhaps been painfully infatuated with a person who has actually rejected you. 
You are absolutely absorbed in this pain. You're absolutely absorbed in this world. And there's nothing that can go on from the outside that can penetrate this, um, this pain or this internal dialogue that's going on. As you try to remember conversations that you had, as you fantasize about conversations that you might have, the outside world has no way of penetrating your inside world. If you're heartbroken, you feel jilted, and you're walking in that environment, you'll basically see nothing. You are trapped inside the imminent frame of your own um, experience. And if that's you today, and if that's how you're feeling about the resurrection, I just want to say, hey, it's worth taking a second look. If you're just glimpsing at the resurrection today, I just want to say to you, it's worth, it's worth your while. It's worth taking um, a second look. You know, what Jesus offers humanity is absolutely extraordinary. It really is absolutely extraordinary. And this is the reason why thousands of years later, Jesus is still the central figure of human history. Jesus is still the figure of human history. Here's it from a Yale um, historian, Yaroslav Pelikan. He says this, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the Jesus. It's from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars, and it's by his name that millions curse, and in his name that millions pray. If this is where you are today, and you've just kind of like, you recognize the resurrection, there's something that's happened back there, I just want to say, do yourself a favor and go a bit deeper. Just go that little bit deeper. Take a second look. Find out if it's untrue, and if it is untrue, then you can forget it. Or if you find out it is true, then you can absorb the goodness of it. Whatever you do, you don't want to be stuck in kind of the anyway shoulder shrug situation, right? So my encouragement is, if you're just glimpsing at the resurrection, you just recognize it's something back there. I mean, it's great that you're here, but I'm just encouraging you, it's good to take a second look. And that's where I want to go to uh, next. What we see here in verse 6 is that where John stayed outside of the tomb, he had a quick look and didn't go in. Um, Simon Peter does something different. It's part of his personality, right? He was just straight in there like a robber's dog. He was in there, and this, let's have a look at verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Now, the verb used to describe the way that Peter observes things here um, is the Greek verb, can we jump that? Theori. Which is, uh, which is where we get the word theatre, um, which is to kind of present an idea or present something before an audience. Or, and it's the word from which we get the word theory from, which is to kind of to go deeper and to try to search uh, for understanding. So what we have here is Peter goes to the tomb. He goes to the tomb, right? And then he goes straight in, as he does, and he's seeing before him a stone bench and you've got linen cloth there, but no body, right? And so then he has to start doing the mental maths, okay? What has gone on here? What could this possibly mean? And in his mind, quickly, he would have gone like, did some of the other disciples just race in there and sneak the body? Well, 
that's pretty unlikely because, of course, you know, to then go around, if you stole the body and then you went around saying Jesus was alive and people were killing you for that, it's pretty hard to, you know, like, what's the motivation? There is no motivation for that lie, and it's very hard to sustain a lie like that when your life is under threat. So the, the kind of, it can't have been the disciples. The second person it could have been, maybe Peter is thinking, is, you know, maybe it would have been maybe the Romans, or maybe it would have been the, you know, the Jewish leaders. But again, when you think about that, they're trying to squash this rebellion, right? They're trying to squash this movement. And so the best way to do that is to produce this dead leader, right? For them to take away the body, that, wouldn't have, that would only kind of add fuel to the fire. So it can't be the disciples, it can't be the, the Romans or the, or the Jewish leaders. Uh, is it grave robbers? Grave robbing was, you know, um, a nocturnal sport. Lots of people participated in it in the ancient Near East. But when you went and robbed graves, what you did, what you, the value of grave robbing lay in the spices and in the linen, not in the dead body, right? What do you do with a dead body? It's really difficult to deal with. Um, so, it can't, so it can't have been the religious leaders, it can't have been the disciples, it doesn't make sense for grave robbers. And Peter's just completely like scratching his head here. And this is why he, he, you've got him thinking about a theory. What's going on here? He can't make sense of it. You know, there's nothing in the Jewish worldview that would help him understand this. In the Jewish worldview, the resurrection happened at the end of time and everybody was raised all at the same time. There was nothing to guide him to suggest that he should expect one person raised in the middle of time. And so Peter has, like, this is like doing his brain in, right? It's really... It's like he has to really, really think about this. And, you know, and, and so often is the case, it probably would have been easy for him if there was no resurrection, right? That would have helped his mind a lot easier. And I think that's where many of us sit today. Obviously, many of us, we don't go much further than the resurrection because I think we intuitively know if this thing is real, if the resurrection actually happened, that actually, that's going to turn my world upside down. It's literally going to turn my world upside down and what I can expect from the world, what can I expect from human life, right? It changes a lot of things. Philip Yancey in his book, um, The Jesus I Never Knew, says this about the resurrection. He says this, in many respects, I would find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. Easter makes him dangerous. Because of Easter, I have to listen to his extravagant claims and can no longer pick and choose from his sayings. Moreover, Easter means he must be loose out there somewhere. Like the disciples, I never know where Jesus might turn up, how he might speak to me, what he might ask of me. I want to say that following Jesus, you know, for whatever it is, it's not just about simple concepts where you come to church, you unplug your brain, and, you know, the people are nice, the coffee is warm, so let me join, right? That is not what the Bible is wanting to advocate for. Actually, the Bible, is what it's trying to say is the Christian faith is a reasoned faith, and it's a reasonable faith.
And so it invites questions. It invites us to really think through all of um, the implications. And this leads me to the last view of the resurrection, where John comes into the tomb and he sees and he uh, believes. Again, just to get all nerd, Bible nerd on you, uh, the Greek words here, if we can, and are then kai epistosin, which just means to see and believe. And there's something about John that's ha- what's happened here is he's encountered this situation and he's thought about it and he actually finds trust rising within him that something about this is uh, really true. And so you've got to be thinking about, you know, John in the tomb and he's answering these kinds of questions, asking himself these kinds of questions, like, how can this be true? What is it about that's happened here? It's surprising. It's unexpected. I don't like it. It's kind of wild. I don't want to believe it, but I think it's happened. So often we feel that if God does something really dramatic in our lives, you know, something really powerful, then that would solve it all for us, right? That would evaporate all sense of doubt. And there's something about this slow burn situation of the resurrection that we kind of find slightly unconvincing and slightly annoying because it's unconvincing. We want it to be more powerful. We want it to be more uh, convincing. You know, one of the interesting things is part of the rejection of Roman culture, why the Romans rejected uh, the crucifixion, was that, and I don't want to be offensive here, but part of the reason why the Romans rejected uh, uh, Christianity was that its key authoritative witnesses uh, were women. So women were the first people to receive the resurrection. They were the authoritative witnesses of it. And basically, that was not the way that Rome worked because in in Roman society, um, women were basically seen as um, irrational and not uh, solid witnesses. But here... You know, but if you understood who Jesus was, if you understood the role and the place and the honor that women had in his ministry, there's something about Jesus being raised from the dead and presenting himself to women and them being the first authoritative witnesses. There's something about God in all of that. You know, this is just the way that uh, God works. Then secondly, the resurrected Jesus next appears to Thomas, Doubting Thomas. Jesus, like, he's seen it all, but he's doubting, and Jesus comes to him and gives Thomas what he needs. Next, it talks about Jesus coming to two people walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. God is walking with people who are walking away with God, away from God, in order to give them what they need a sense of encounter, a sense of encouragement. Jesus appears to the disciples, they're hiding out in a room, and he comes to them and says, peace to you, and breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, Jesus' resurrection, it's not like Jesus is returning, like, um, I don't know, like a politician and needing to start a rally to win votes and get clicks and likes. Jesus is not returning like some, you know, um, Roman general from victory. And why doesn't Jesus do that? Because Jesus doesn't need to do that. Jesus' way is of kindness. Jesus' way is a way of mercy. Jesus' way is a way of peace. And that is because 
these are far stronger ways than the ways of uh, power. How else does it make sense that through a group of 12 disciples, many of whom, you know, didn't have PhDs, they were like normal people, right? They were basically, you know, 12 disciples with an outer ring of probably 500, that through them, in 300 years, the, the vast majority of the Roman Empire had become Christians. Through 12 people, add 300 years, the entirety of the Roman, you know, Roman Empire becomes Christian. And the most powerful empire the world has ever known eventually bows the knee to Jesus. How is that? How is that the case? Through great acts of kindness, through great acts of mercy, through great acts of generosity. You know, this is the way that God works in the world. And this is the way that God continues to work today. You know, we're gathering here, we're trying to make sense of the resurrection, along with 2.58 billion other people in the world today. We often don't kind of get the sense of this, but, you know, there's more people have become Christians in Iran in the last 10 years than there has been in the last 10 centuries. Right? It's still rolling out. Um, Back in the day, you had, used to have to smuggle Bibles into China. David Goldstone was a part of that, smuggling. He was a real pirate, smuggling Bibles into China. Do you know where the largest printer of Bibles is in the world today? It's China, right? It's the largest printer of Bibles. There's a factory that's 12 football fields big, wide, that's printing Bibles, like, nonstop in China. I'm just saying, like, this is the way that the power of God works in the world. And so what I want to invite you to do today is if you are just glimpse the resurrection, I want to encourage you to go a bit further, go a bit deeper with where God is taking you. Or if you're struggling with the, you know, the facts of this, of you know, what does this all mean? I want to encourage you to bring your questioning to the Bible, bring your questioning about the resurrection to bear. God, there's nothing to be afraid of here. Or perhaps you're today needing a fresh encounter of God to really strengthen your faith, to strengthen that sense of belief. What I want to say today is that all of this is all welcome. Wherever you're at here, when it comes to the resurrection, just like we're so glad you're here today, and I want to invite you when we have communion, when we're going to have a time of worship together, and we're going to have a time of prayer ministry, just be open to what God might be saying to you, or in fact might want to do in your life today. My goal here is to be just so we understand the resurrection in different kinds of ways. And I want us to go deeper with it because it's really the thing that has changed the world uh, most, most radically. And I want you to all be a part of that. Guys, you're on super well. I, what I want to do now is we're going to, I'm going to invite um, our little youth band up. Come on up, guys. Anya, Finn, Luca, the rest of the gang. These guys. Um, Started the year with a little project. It happened around a pizza and a few ideas about writing a song for uh, Easter. And so these guys have written the song. Uh, they um, came up with the lyrics. They arranged the music. And it's a, it's a great piece. It, what the song does is it tracks through um, uh, the Jesus in the garden. It tracks through the betrayal and then the cross and the resurrection. And what I want to do, I know the Lego's kind of a bit noisy and all that stuff, but we're going to turn it up. And I just want us to sit and just allow the song and allow the creativity of the resurrection. Kind of plant a seed in your life. 
a seed that says actually God's not finished with human beings, a, a seed that says actually new creation's on its way, a seed that says am I open to new creation life springing into my life in the middle of time and not waiting for something to happen just at the end of the time. So as these guys tune up, just, just take a moment and allow them uh, to lead us in the song. Then we're going to have communion. Thanks, guys.